If you want to know how to have intimacy with God, go to the Psalms. Go to the Psalms. I'll tell you how strong David's intimacy with God became. David was not of the tribe of Levi. According to Mosaic law, only someone of the tribe of Levi could actually eat the showbread, wear the priestly ephod, go into the presence of God at the holy place. And yet, do you know, because David had such intimate relationship with God, that David put on the ephod and God didn't kill him. He ate the showbread and God didn't kill him. David even removed the veil from around the, the Ark of the Covenant, which was the manifest presence of God, and installed 288 worshipers that worked in shifts 24 hours a day, seven days a week, around the Ark of the Covenant. David understood that what God really wanted was to be worshipped. And you hear the passionate cry of Psalms. Oh God, my God. Things, oh man, you want to be able to learn to talk to God in a world where most of us were raised, where people are shut down emotionally because somebody's been hurt, and you don't know how to communicate with God, especially if you're raised like I was in Louisiana, thinking God was a motorcycle cop hiding behind the billboard on the highway of life. <clears throat> you know, walk over and pull you over and write you a ticket. That's, that's, that's how many of us were taught God was. And it's hard to be in intimate relationship with somebody like that. David tells you how God really is. And we're praying through this. And I want you to join with us because every day there's a, a new verse that's going out. And I want to teach. If there's anything I can do that will help you, it's teach you to be in contact with God. I can teach you the Bible until you know it backwards and forwards. But if you don't know the God of the Bible, I haven't done you any good. But if I can teach you how to know God, then the rest of the stuff comes naturally. Because you can know, like, like I, I said, way back yonder doing O.J. Simpson's trial years ago, I learned more about O.J. than I ever intended to know about O.J. I learned his shoe size. I learned all kind of stuff. But that doesn't mean I know O.J. And everybody knows all kind of stuff about God, but that doesn't mean, mean they know God. Amen? And so, just wanted to mention that. And oh, by the way, last Sunday night, wow. Hey, I heard. We're, we're going to do that once every quarter. And it's going to be open for people to experience miracles and be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And those services are going to have an altogether different function. And it may end up growing to once a month and even more. I don't know. But thank you to those that, that helped there. And now to the word of the Lord. We have been teaching about elevation. Ephesians 2 and 6, and God, who did it? Who? Come on, say it. Who? God. God did it. Raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Elevation. To be able to have elevation, what I want you to understand is that's God's plan for your life. He has incredible plans for you. Jeremiah 29 Plans to do you good. Plans to bless you and plans to give you an expected, it says end, but what it means is destiny, something you can look forward to. Amen. God speaks good things over your life, but the enemy, once he hears what God wants to say over you, sets about to try to negate every good thing God has promised you. And he sets this up in such a way that he gives his demonic 
forces, assignments to come against you based upon this strategy. We're going to undo what God said. We're going to make sure it doesn't happen. Many people don't understand this. They think just because God said it, it's automatically going to happen. And they run into opposition when they're trying to move into their destiny or into God's will for their life. And they wonder why. Paul said, there's a great and effectual door open, but there are many adversaries. One way you know you're on the right track is by the amount of opposition you encounter when you're on that right track. So here's what I'm, I'm saying. God's voted for you. The enemy is speaking against you. Who makes the deciding vote be cast? You do. You get to decide whether God's purposes in your life are fulfilled or whether the enemy is successful in canceling what God wants to do for you. The way that you make sure that God's purpose for your life is fulfilled, you have to act in spiritual authority and say to the enemy, back off. No weapon formed against me is going to prosper. Amen. I will be who God said I am. Amen. I will fulfill his plan. To do that, you have to have and understand what spiritual authority is. Luke 9 and 1, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. So this year, we're talking about elevation. And at the beginning of the year, I'm focusing specifically on the 12 dimensions of spiritual authority. Because these 12 dimensions, the more of them you understand, the more powerful the breakthroughs will be in your life and the more joy you're going to have. We've already talked about two of them and I've taken several weeks. Now, I'm going to go through them a lot faster. You will not want to miss a Sunday. The first was authority over self. The second is authority within a family structure. The reason I spent as long as I did on these two is because they're foundational to everything that comes after you don't have these two in place, you won't master the other ten. And so let's begin to look today at the next several dimensions of spiritual authority. Before I do, I want us to pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you because your word has incredible power. And we don't sit here, Lord, and wait for things to happen in our lives. We look at your word, we become empowered by it, we see who we're supposed to become and we're changed from glory to glory as we behold your face in the word of God. And Lord, let your word be fulfilled in every one of our lives is the prayer that I would pray today for these people that I love. Let your word come to pass. Let your plans for our lives be fulfilled. Give us the authority we're supposed to operate and function in as believers and as Christians and as your body in the earth. We ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Today I want to talk to you about authority over secular affairs. That's outside the church. What happens out there? You say, do we really have an interest there? Yes, we do. And I want to tell you why. As I've mentioned a number of times, you know I was raised in Louisiana. My mother's people, all Cajun French. That means I got to enjoy two incredibly good things my whole life. One is the best cooking in all of the world. Amen. Nobody can cook like Cajun people can. The second is the unique brand of humor that Cajuns have. Now, if you're raised connected to Louisiana heritage and roots, you know about this. We make fun, Cajuns do, of ourselves, just like most groups of people will, most cultures will. Don't you do it now, or you, <laughs> unless you're one of us, amen. But we enjoy that. 
And so, joke, okay? This is a joke. Boudreaux was the air traffic controller at an airport in Louisiana. Boudreaux. Named Clovis Boudreaux. Amen. Two airplanes were coming into this Louisiana airport, and one of the pilots radioed the tower and said, Tower, this is flight number 1234 requesting clearance to land. Boudreaux said, uh, yeah, flight 1234. Uh, Shad, you done be cleared to land on that runway east. And the pilot said, thank you, over and out. And the second pilot radioed and said, Tower, this is flight number 5678. He said, I'm also requesting clearance to land. And Boudreaux came back on and said, uh, yeah, flight number four or five, six, seven, eight. You done be cleared to, uh, to land on that runway west. And there was a moment of hesitation. And the second pilot came back on and said, did you say that I was cleared to land on runway west? And Boudreaux said, that's right, Chad. You done be cleared to land on that runway west. And the pilot came back and said, but didn't I hear you just tell Flight number 1234, he was cleared to land on runway east. And Boudreaux said, yeah, yeah, that's right. Y'all be careful here. <laughs> that's Louisiana humor, okay. I hope you get my point. Two planes going in the opposite direction landing at the same time on the same runway. That to me, pretty much summarizes where the church and the world are at in terms of leadership in the earth. We're going opposite directions and we're headed for a collision. Yes, we are. We as, as the church are put in the earth with an assignment. And I want to talk to you about that today. There's been a collision of, of values that are conflicting and agendas that are opposite, polar opposite one from the other. The world has one set of agendas and values. We have another. Which one is really supposed to prevail? Genesis 41, 37 through 44. This is what the scripture said. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He made him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And people shouted before him, make way, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. But without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all of Egypt. That is authority in secular affairs. God intends to raise up those with kingly anointings in the church who will take leadership positions, not just in the church, but in society and in the world. What you must understand about God, and I've said this before, is when God speaks once, he never just speaks once. That is, he can say one thing and mean many things. When God opens his mouth to utter a word, it is so full of meaning at different levels 
that you have to be perceptive and discerning to understand what the Spirit is really saying to the church. Let he that hath ears to hear. What this is really requiring of us is spiritual discernment. For example, one argument could be made that what has actually been read to you and you're hearing a moment ago from Genesis 41 is the historical account of how the children of Israel came to be elevated in Egypt and then there were jealous elements that arose later. All of this eventually brought about a situation where they would be delivered back out of Egypt to their promised land that God had given them as a result of his promises to Abraham. One could argue this is history. And that would be true at this level. But at a deeper level, there's something else that God is saying. God is actually telling us something, and you learn in Scripture, the Bible is full of types and shadows. In theology, there is what is called the law of first mention. When something is first mentioned in Scripture, this generally then means throughout the rest of the Bible that that thing is typed to represent what it represented the first time it was discussed in Scripture. Joseph is a type of the church, for example. Egypt is a type of this world. Ever since that day, the church has always talked about when God brought me out of Egypt. Why? Because of these different levels of meaning that I'm referring to. On the other hand, Pharaoh is a type of this world's leadership. And when he promoted Joseph, he was promoting the church in this world because his leadership was not adequate to deal with the problems. Follow this through and the remarkable parallels to where we live today will cause you to come to an inescapable conclusion. The church is not excess baggage. The church is fundamental to the survivability of our culture and our nation and our world. They need us. Joseph was the only one with a strategy that could effectively solve the problems. Egypt, the world, was facing because Pharaoh, the leadership of the world, didn't have a plan for addressing it. He needed somebody who had superior insight. And what's happening in this world of conflicting values where the church is trying to pull the world one direction and unrighteous leadership is pulling it in another is we have come to a place where people are in pain. And the problems of this world have become intensified to such a place that we need and we desperately need solutions to be found. Proverbs 11, 10 through 11 said, When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is destroyed. Whenever the wrong leadership is in place, people suffer. When the righteous prosper and they're elevated, cities rejoice, cultures rejoice. God has always meant for the righteous to be in control of secular affairs. We have not been taught that, and I'll get back to the reasons why in just a few minutes. We have been taught, stay away from that world. It will corrupt you. You'll backslide out there. You'll lose your relationship with God. As a result of embracing a culture of isolationism and waiting for Jesus to come and the rapture to take place, we have essentially let our world go to hell in a handbasket. I'm sorry, I don't mean to indict the church, but I need to point out where darkness has permeated and saturated even our foundational beliefs. 
If you don't expose them to light, they'll never be changed. And I need to expose them to light. Amen. We have allowed the enemy to convince us that we need to focus only on spiritual things. Job, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, David, Solomon, Esther, Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah are all examples of godly people that had authority in secular affairs. The strategies of this world have not worked. Look at what happened in Boston just this week. How much more of this do we have to experience before we realize solutions that leave God out are not solutions at all? Amen. They only make things worse. God is wanting to put authority to handle secular affairs back in the hands of his church. And listen, right now, the church can be disrespected and denigrated. But I want to tell you, in one day, God could lift us out of the dungeon and we could be second in command in all of the land. The reason I'm saying this, that's another level of interpretation. One is historical, the other is, are the values and what God is saying to us prophetically through the story of Joseph, but another is what God could be saying to you individually. You may be walking through the darkest moment of your life right now, and you may, you may have awoken this morning, and there may, you may have been in the darkest, deepest dungeon you've ever been in your life. But let me tell you, by the time the sun goes down this evening, they could be saying, make way, make way. Make way. Amen. People could be calling your name. You could be wearing the signet ring of favor and respectability. You hear what I'm talking about? You may be wearing prison stripes right now, but you could be wearing Briani. Hello, somebody. Before the evening sun goes down, God knows how to turn things around. Amen. There is a purpose in all of this where God is intending to put secular authority back in the hands of his people. It's not just so that we can be in charge for the sake of being in charge and be as carnal as everybody else is that's currently in leadership. No disrespect to leaders that are trying to do their best. I'm just talking about, well, right now I'm just using generalities. You and I as the church need to be aware that just because we decided not to be involved in secular affairs, it did not stop secular affairs from affecting us. Come on. Laws passed by secular governments can affect our freedom of worship. Yes, they can. Decisions made by secular institutions and leaders can affect our economic standards. You think just because we live in isolation... Don't get involved in secular matters that what the, is happening out there doesn't affect us. Oh, yes. You let unrighteous people be out there in charge, and if gas goes to $10 a gallon, guess who's going to be paying it right alongside every sinner? You are too. You hear what I'm saying? And whenever they make decisions that cause governments to collapse because the economy cannot be sustained, you can lose your job just like they can Amen. Secular educators can affect the moral beliefs of our children. We do not live in isolation. As the English poet, priest, or, or preacher John Donne said years ago, do not ask for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. For every man is a part of the continent and a part of the main. All of us are affected by what goes on in the world around us. Proverbs 29, 2 through 3, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. I don't know about you, but every time I turn on the news, I hear groaning. Yeah. 
every time I pick up the newspaper, I hear groaning. Every time I listen to CNN, I hear groaning. There's a lot of hurting in our world right now. And the reason is the wrong people are in charge. The reason that so much pain and suffering does exist isn't because there is a lack of resources. Oh, no. It's because of the people in charge of those resources. They make laws that favor themselves and not all of humanity. Amen. By no means am I a Marxist, and so you should never think that. Think that I am not for communism. It was embraced by one-third of the population of the earth and then collapsed because it could not be sustained as a, as a basis or philosophy for life. But Karl Marx, before there was communism, was a, 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 an, econ, an economist, and he, this was his theory. His theory was there are two classes of people in the world. Hear me and see if you don't think there's some merit to this. His doctrines were used to formulate the structure that later became socialism. But listen to what he said. He said there are the proletariat and the bourgeoisies. Amen. So what you have are two categories of people. One is at the top. The other is always on the bottom. The ones on top use the ones on the bottom. His theory was that whoever's on top and owns what he called the means of production, which were the resources, the land, uh, the intellectual rights and, and the values, the factories. And his theory was whoever owns those makes laws that the rest of us are enslaved by. He, he said they build the superstructure that we have to live with. That was his term. Superstructure meaning the universities, the schools, the governments, the hospitals, the media, and everything else. He said those who have the means of production are the ones that set the laws for these other things, and you and I are made to fit into this. Let me break it down and make it plain. He said, whenever they, the ones in charge hire you, they're not hiring you to make you money, baby. They're hiring you to make them money. They're going to give you a little bit so you can just get by. That's all they're going to do. But they're going to make money on you. That's what they're intending to do. It's none of this come, everybody's a big, happy family, brotherly love and all of that and peace. And, then, and uh, it's, I'm going to get something out of this. Amen. And because I personally believe that his view was correct, I've looked at this world. I don't think his, his solutions were correct or where they were correct or where they were carried to. That's wrong. Communism never worked. Amen. Socialism didn't. But what he's really saying is that people at the top, if they're unrighteous, are going to enslave those that are at the bottom. And you and I will find ourselves going to schools and universities and taking classes and getting jobs and learning to fit into the structure that makes them wealthy. Whoa. That's pretty much the way it is, baby. That's just the way it is. Amen. And this is why the Bible says that when the righteous are in authority, that people rejoice. Amen. But whenever the wicked rule, people groan because you can live your life and die and never really reach a point where your life becomes comfortable or successful. But the other guy, on the other hand, that you were working for, different matter. Now, I'm not knocking bosses and not knocking companies. What I'm trying to say is, is that if the right attitude exists in leadership, then people are going to want to see you blessed just like they are. 
Come on, help me out right now. And it's God's will that the righteous lead. Why do we expect Bill Gates to act like he's a born-again believer and he's not? Come on now. Oh, I'm praying for him to get saved. I am too. But if he don't, I'm not going to sit back and wait and, and struggle the rest of my life. I'll be Bill Gates and let him get moved out of the way. Pray God raise up some righteous ones, you know. And I'm not knocking him because he's doing good things for society. I'm just using him. Well, maybe I can use somebody else, a lightning rod that everybody likes to make fun of. Donald Trump, okay? With that fox that sits on top of his head with that tail curled around the top. You know what I mean? Amen. It is actually God's will that the righteous lead. Deuteronomy 28 and 1. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above. Hear this. All the nations on the earth, that's elevation. But Deuteronomy 28 and 13, if you don't obey the Lord, the Lord will make you the head, or, or, or let me, I got ahead of myself. And if you obey the Lord, the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top and say it with me, never at the bottom. I need somebody to not just read it. I need to, somebody to claim it personally right now. I need some, pray it with me. Pray it with me. Because I am obeying you, God. Say it. I'm carefully following you. Thank you that I shall always be at the top. And never at the bottom as long as I live. Give the Lord some praise, somebody. We were incorrectly taught in church that we should shun involvement in secular matters. They're dangerous to your soul. Demas, having loved this present world, Paul said, forsook him, forsook Paul. And so what we would do, we've lived our lives with our heads buried in the sand. Oh, God, save us. We're like the ostrich over here. God, save us. Help us. Don't let me backslide. Enemy all around, but I don't see him. I got my eyes closed. You know, I close my eyes. You're invisible. You're not there anymore. We dart out our front door and go to work. Praying the whole time. There's a demon under every chair and every desk in that office. You know, watch that old devil. He's sly. Don't upset him. He's going to come after you today. And we make it through the day. Thank you, God. I'm so glad I didn't lose out with you today. What kind of an attitude is that? That's not victory in Jesus. Amen. That's barely making it. That's not even surviving. Amen. Basically, we let the world go on without us and tried to detach from it. But in doing so, we gave up the influence we had in it and over it. We stopped being salt. We stopped being light. We stopped being yeast. We stopped being a causative agent of change. And we allowed the world to perish around us while we're waiting for Jesus to come. Amen. Look, we can't do that anymore. The world is lost. I'm not just sitting back waiting for him to come. I'm here to take over and bring the kingdom. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching to you right now. Amen. 
Let me just say it is absolutely true that we can get our priorities inverted and seek to be successful for the wrong reasons. We can want success because we want what it brings rather than for the influence of the kingdom it provides us with and the way it positions us to speak to society. We can want the things of this world. We can want its positions, its titles, its rewards because we want them for ourselves rather than to use them to exalt God. It can be all about, you know, I just want to make sure I'm looking good. You know, and all of that, peace, bro, you know. You're the man, you know. It can be all about stupid stuff. Yes, you can get involved in this world. Jesus warned against becoming over-involved where the cares of life choke out your spiritual life that is within you. You don't want to let that happen. But we incorrectly came to believe the way to avoid that was go stick our head in the sand. Tell somebody, not going to happen like that anymore. Would you do it? For the righteous not to lead can actually be an indication that we have brought the disfavor of God upon ourselves. Did you know that? That means if we're not leading in business and government, education and finance, the arts, the media, science and technology, and any of the other so-called secular arenas, it can mean that God has been displeased with us. Deuteronomy 28, 43 through 44 He said, if you don't follow my commands, the foreigners who reside among you will rise. What? They will be elevated. Whoa. They'll rise higher and higher, and you will sink lower and lower. They will lend to you, but you will not lend to them. They will be the head, and you will be the tail. Joel 2 and 17, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar, and let them say, Spare thy people, O Lord, and give not your inheritance or heritage to reproach that the heathen should rule over us. Hear what he's saying. Wherefore should they say among the people, Where is their God? What he's saying is if the righteous displease God, one of the signs that we're not pleasing him is pagans and heathens, those who embrace different values than us, will actually be elevated above us while we will be suppressed lower and lower. And rather you think, lest you think that that means they're going to someday come to an awakening, look at what he said. When they're exalted and we're debased, you know what they say? Where is their God? Uh-huh. Look. You're not going to win anybody to God while you broke, disgusted, down on the bottom. You know, failure. You know what I'm talking about. You're not going to win anybody to God while you're a loser. L on your forehead, loser. Walk everybody, look, here comes a loser again, you know. You're not going to win anybody to God when you win somebody to God. It's when God reaches down and picks you up. Oh, we've all been losers in our life. We've all been on the bottom, but I just need somebody to say, don't plan on spending all my life there. I've been on the bottom, but I didn't take out a post office box there. You hear what I'm saying? Because I'm just passing through. God found me on the bottom, but he brought me up out of the miry clay and he set my feet on a rock. You know what impacts people? When they see you walking through your stuff and God comes in and makes a way where there was no way. 
lifts you up when there wasn't any way out, turns your life around, fixes you when you couldn't be fixed, gives you hope when there wasn't any, fixes your marriage when, the, when everybody gave up on you. You hear what I'm saying? Delivers you from drugs or alcohol or... He finds you on the bottom, but he doesn't leave you on the bottom. That's what you need to know about grace. He raises us up to seat us with Christ in heavenly places. Woo. Amen. And when they see somebody that used to be a loser, they can identify with that. Because all of us have our issues. Everybody that belongs to this race called human beings is at one point or other been dealing with stuff. And when they see God bring you out and you get elevated higher and higher and higher, they don't say, where is your God? They say, I want your God. I need your God. You think somebody on the top's gonna come looking for you when you're on the bottom? Loser, broke, life messed up. I need your God. No, they were, I don't want your God. Stay away from me. Get away. You know what I'm saying? They run in the opposite direction. Elevation is all about bringing the kingdom into the earth. Oh, hallelujah. God, don't let people who don't know you rule over us. That's what Joel is saying. Do not allow those who do not know you to rule over your children. Why? Because the world will groan. Amen. Where did this idea even come from that to be godly, that we shouldn't be involved in leadership in the different facets of industry, science, entertainment, education, finance, media, and so forth. Where did it come from? I'll tell you where it came from. It comes from the Latin word secular. Amen. The Latin word secular that is actually used here, you can look this up, put it up there quickly. The Latin word secular is the Latin word secularis, and it means of the age, worldly, temporal. It is the state of being separate from religion. Separate. And you need to understand that when God created the world, he didn't make the world to be separate from himself. He didn't make a carnal world and a spiritual world. When he created Adam, he made Adam to worship and rule in the same venue, to worship and work in the same venue. It was only after Adam had sinned that what happened was he lost his rule. We have even misunderstood that. We have falsely said Adam lost relationship with God. He did. But that wasn't why he lost relationship with God. What he really lost was rule. In the garden when he lost rule, now Satan could mandate all kind of things to happen in his life. Hear what I'm saying? We say Adam lost his worship. He lost rule. That's what he lost. As a result of losing rule, then Satan could now put all these laws in place that affected his worship. You're not worthy enough to worship. You're not holy enough to approach God. You hear what I'm talking about? Amen. And this is why in the garden, Adam was given rule and worship and they coexisted. He was in the very place where he worshiped God was the place where he ruled for God. 
and also where he worked on his daily job. Now, what happened was when he sinned, Satan said, I have rule now. This is the way that it worked. God gave man the mandate for rule in this earth, the title deed. Satan wanted this. So he came and deceived man and stole it away. He could never have gotten it from God. But since God delegated to us this, Satan stole it from us. It's like this. If I give you a car, you may not come, somebody may not steal it from me. But if they can sweet talk and con you, they might not have ever been able to con me. But they may, I may look down the road and see them driving the car I gave you. Nobody's wise enough to con God. Do you hear what I'm saying? And Satan couldn't get to God, but he could get to man. And man gave up rule. And when he did, Satan said, you're finished, baby. It's my world now. That's why in the New Testament, he was called the God, little g-o-d, of this present world. He wasn't even called the God of this world in the Old Testament. Because he wasn't. In the Old Testament, God was the God of the world. Satan got that because he deceived Adam and stole the mandate from Adam in the garden. Now watch it. This is why Jesus came. (laughs) Amen. To wit, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Amen. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received back up in the glory. Amen. The only way God could get the title deed back was to come be man and deceive the devil. So he tricked the devil out and paid our price. Oh, mm. Lord, do I feel my anointing kicking in? Mm. Y'all, excuse me. I have fun when I go to church. I don't. Amen. And so in the original premise, worship and worship were never supposed to be, uh, I mean, worship and, 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 and rule were never supposed to be separated. There was never any separation of church and state. You say, but our constitution says it. We don't even know the context in which our leaders said it. They came out of persecuted Europe where they were not allowed to worship God according to the freedoms of their heart. And so they passed a a law. They made it a part of our constitution in America that Congress shall make no laws concerning religion. Did that mean that the church should never have any influence in secular matters like we have been told? No. It meant we can't make any rules as a Congress telling you how you're supposed to worship because that's what we came out of. And when you talk to people who know, even those who oppose the church's involvement, they will tell you that is historically the way it happened. You say, well, why are you then fighting for separation of the church and state? This is what they say. We're more evolved than man was then. We're further down the road. We're smarter. We're more educated. Tell that to the victims of the Boston massacre and bombing. Amen. They will tell you, yes, and you say, ask them, why is it then that you want the church and the state to be separated? And they say it's because the government knows better for us now what to do. This is why you will hear me poke fun and say from time to time, never pray, our Father which art in Washington, D.C., hallowed be thy name. 
Don't pray that prayer. They don't have any answers. It's the righteous who have answers. It's Joseph who has answers. I'm going to say it again because some of you sitting out there like you don't believe it. Joseph has the answers, not Pharaoh. Amen. Now hear what I'm talking about. As a result of us giving control over to Pharaoh and shunning control as the godly Josephs, what we have done is we have condemned this world to collapse and cave in upon itself and to implode. Entire nations are in bankruptcy. Look at what is happening in Greece and Portugal and Italy and Spain, France and others. I was just this week in an airport, Friday night in fact, and across from me was the head of one of the major European oil companies of the world. And they were there because they are doing uh, a lot of oil exploration in Africa and they were signing contracts and they found all kind of of oil discoveries, and you know what they told me? They said, we're focusing on Africa now. They said, the reason are, is, is simply, the reasons are this, Europe and America are washed up. That's what they told me. Our best days are behind us. They said, don't be offended. I'm European, I'm French. But the days of Europe are behind us, our days of glory. And they said, don't be offended, so is it for America. We have debt loads that cannot be sustained. Our grandchildren will not live to be old enough to pay them off. And too many of us are still caught up in all this little peripheral stuff. And I'm Democrat and I'm Republican. Why don't you be Christian for a while and see how that works for you? Amen. No, seriously, how's it working for you? How's it working for you? Put any money in your bank account? Amen. Help you keep your job? No. What we're still doing is delegating the future of the world to people that don't know God. Righteous, stand up. Joseph, come on out of the cave. You know, rise from the dungeon. Get out of there. Put on your royal robes. Stand up. You've got a mandate. Be counted for God. I'm closing here right now. It's time for us to do what we were called to do. As a result of us not being involved in secular affairs, it's hurt us. It's affected not only the way we live, it's affected our ability to do what God put us in the world to do. What's been affected by all of the economic reversals in the world? Tell me missions hasn't been affected. Tell me giving has not been affected. Tell me that missionaries are not struggling. David Wacko was here. Two and a half months when he was with us that Sunday morning here just a few weeks ago. You know what he told me? In two and a half months, he's raised three and a half thousand dollars. That was all. For the work in Uganda. He said everywhere he goes, people are crying. We're losing jobs. We're hurting. By us not being in charge and leaving it to those who don't know God. Even our missionaries are, are crying. And they're hurting. And the lost of the world are dying without God. Amen. Listen to this. Ecclesiastes 10, 5 and 7. There's an evil I have seen under the sun. The sort of evil that arises from a ruler. Whoa. What it means is a bad ruler. There's something terrible going on. Fools are put in many high positions while the rich occupy the low ones. And you need to know the word rich there in Hebrew can mean rich in different things. Not just money. It can, it can mean rich in other things. I can think of no greater riches than to know Jesus Christ. Amen. But notice what happens when you get the long, wrong leadership. 
Terrible things happen under the sun. Fools are put in high position, while those who are rich in eternal things are put in low ones. And the result is, I have seen slaves on horseback, while princes go on foot like slaves. What does that mean? I'm the king's kid. Get off my ride. I'm supposed to be the one riding. That's what that means. It means that you have people that are in high positions right now that are making decisions that are causing us to be injured and hurt as the people of God. The enemy's told you you're just supposed to keep quiet because you're spiritual and you don't want to get carnal and get involved in this world. Leave that up to us. And they laugh behind our back and say, poor, poor fools, they let us do it. Can you believe that? Look, let me tell you the way it is. In Africa, they just had an election. And the opponent demanded a recount. I'm going to demand a recount in the court of heaven today. 2,000 years ago, our side won. I demand a recount, devil. You're not supposed to be ruling this world anymore. Jesus paid the price we are. And so what do I say? I say, rise up, child of God. Come on out of the dungeon, Joseph. God has a purpose for your life. Stand up and be powerful. Stand up and be mighty. Stand up and be used of God. In conclusion, this week Maggie Thatcher died. Dame Maggie Thatcher. Former, um, what's her position called? Prime Minister of the UK. Dame Maggie Thatcher. Margaret Thatcher. The Iron Lady. Let me say it appropriately. Dame Margaret Thatcher. You know how many people were at her funeral? A little over 2,000. That's all. One of the most powerful ladies in the entire West and its history of civilization. A little over 2,000 people at her funeral. Four weeks ago, we buried a young man that was a member of this church. A school teacher only 30 years of age. He had as many people at his funeral as she had at hers. You don't have to have dame on your front name or sir. You don't have to have the title. You can have the testimony. What am I trying to tell you? It may not be but just a job as a school teacher, but you rule, baby. You use your influence for God. You stand up and be counted and make your mark. Hallelujah. You may be a welder on a construction site or a banker in an office or whatever you are, but Joseph, come on out. Let God use you. Let God anoint you. Let God raise you up for the purposes for which you were created. Stand with me across the building. Prayer counselors, come join me if you would. And I'm done. But I want us to conclude today with prayer. Amen. I've got a prayer I want us to pray together. Everybody come join me, if you would, near the front, as many as will. Make your way to the front, because as a family, we're going to go to God together. Amen. Amen. Now, look, I'm going to be real honest with you. Some of us are old enough. I know this is going to be a disappointment to you, but just let me be real with you. You may not get to be president of the United States. I realized last night while I was in bed, I am not going to ever be president of the I cried all night long over there. There went my dream. We might not 
in our lifetime do everything we want to do. But I tell you who can do it for us. Your children and your grandchildren. If we understand who we are and we raise them with the right values, don't raise them to hide under a chair and every time that something bad goes wrong, cry, the sky's falling, the sky's falling. No, teach them to be agents of change. You tell them, baby, you get your degree and you change the world. You tell them you go out and make some money and become the next Bill Gates. You do something for God. You make your life count. Don't you sit back and wait for the world to fix its problems. It never will. When the unrighteous are in charge of secular affairs, the world will groan. That's what the Bible said. So with your hands raised, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Lord, I thank you that it is your will that in all that I do, I am meant to be the head and not the tail. I recognize and rejoice that you are elevating me, my family, and your people to be at the top and not at the bottom. And that through our being at the top, you will receive glory and honor. I'm being elevated because I love and honor you. And because I love and study your word. And I embrace the principles of life that it contains. Thank you, God. Because they're transforming my life. They're transforming my life by transforming my thinking. With our heads bowed. Father, I pray today that you will let your grace prevail in our lives. Help our lives to be a reflection of who you are. That when the world looks at you, that they will delight in knowing you because of what they have seen in us. If there's one person in this building that needs salvation, save them right now. Heal them right now. Fix the problems that exist in this altar right now. There are marriages that need healing, finances that need healing, ministries that need healing, relationships that need healing. Fix them, I pray, in the name of Jesus.